This is a CBS News special report, President Chooses. I'm Bruce Morton, CBS News, Washington. And what the president is choosing, of course, is a running mate. Here are the ruffles and flourishes. Hail to the chief is next, and uh, so is the president. Ladies and gentlemen, the president of the United States and Mrs. Nixon. A year after his re-election, President Nixon was knee-deep in the Watergate scandal. On October 10, 1973, VP Spiro Agnew resigned, pleading no contest to charges of tax evasion and money laundering, part of a negotiated resolution to a scheme in which he accepted nearly $30,000 in bribes while governor of Maryland. According to the New York Times, Nixon sought advice from senior congressional leaders about a replacement. The advice was unanimous in favor of Gerald Ford. Ford agreed to the nomination, telling his wife that the vice presidency would be a nice conclusion to his career. On October 12th, President Nixon officially named Gerald Ford as VP. Distinguished guest here in the East Room and my fellow Americans. I have invited you here tonight so that I could share with all of you, not only in this room, but the millions listening on television and radio, my announcement of the man whose name I shall submit to the Congress tomorrow for confirmation as Vice President of the United States. I shall ask the Congress tonight, and also when I submit the name tomorrow, to act as expeditiously as possible on this nomination because of the great challenges we face at home and abroad today. We live at a time in which we face great dangers, but also a time of very great opportunities. The energy crisis was becoming a major issue. Nixon assured the public, saying Americans wouldn't be running out of gasoline, air travel wouldn't stop, and heating oil would be plentiful in the winter months, though the crisis would require some sacrifice on everyone's part. He outlined a plan which included using less heat, less gasoline, and cutting down on highway speeds, as well as cutting down on lighting at home and at work. General consensus felt things would get worse before they got better. To build not only for ourselves but for all the world is now threatened because of a new outbreak of war in the Mideast. And also, we must recognize the fact that the prosperity that we seek is plagued by an inflation which is a burden on the family budget of millions of Americans. Meanwhile, on November 10th, a ceasefire was achieved in the Middle East. A tenuous agreement was reached between Egypt and Israel, putting an end to the military conflict. Because the hope of the world for peace lies with the leadership that we have here in the United States of America. And our ability to build a new prosperity in this country, a prosperity without war and without inflation, lies in the need for strong leadership in the United States of America. Never in our history has the world more needed a strong America, a united America, with both the power and the will to act in the spirit that made this a great country and that has kept it a free country. By the middle of November, the Nixon White House sought to put a positive spin on things, launching what was called the President Fights for His Administration's Credibility. Nixon's dwindling support from Capitol Hill Republicans caused him to make a round of addresses, primarily in Republican stronghold cities, in order to reiterate his case and help approval. The reviews were mixed. Some thought it was a valiant attempt to rescue a bad situation. 
while others were more convinced than ever that Nixon needed to step down. Challenges we face, seizing the opportunities for greatness and meeting the dangers wherever they are at home or abroad. And I'm confident tonight as I stand here before leaders of both parties, I'm confident we shall meet those dangers and also seize those opportunities. I am confident that we shall do so, but we can and will do so only if we have the support of millions of our fellow Americans all across this land. We can and will do so only if we have bipartisan support in the Congress of the United States in matters in which no partisanship should ever enter. And we can and will do so only if we have strong, effective leadership in the executive branch of this government. These were the considerations that I had in mind as I considered what man or other individual to select as the nominee for Vice President of the United States. Let me tell you what the criteria were that I had in mind. First, and above all, the individual who serves as Vice President must be qualified to be President. And second, the individual who serves as Vice President of the United States must be one who shares the views of the President on the critical issues of foreign policy and national defense, which is so important if we are to play our great role, our destined role, to keep peace in the world. And third, at this particular time when we have the executive in the hands of one party and the Congress controlled by another party, it is vital that the Vice President of the United States be an individual who can work with members of both parties in the Congress in getting approval for those programs of the administration which we consider are vital for the national interest. It was these criteria that I had in mind when I pondered this decision last night and early this morning in the quiet beauty of Camp David. And the man I have selected meets those three criteria. First, he is a man who has served for 25 years in the House of Representatives with great distinction. Gerald Ford's colleagues are on their feet applauding. And uh, obviously that reference was to the minority leader, Gerald Ford. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Please don't be premature. There are several here who served 25 years in the House of Representatives. (laughs) 
In addition to that service in the House, I should point out that in that period of time, he has earned the respect of both Democrats and Republicans.